0: Sorry, it just... Hello. It just takes a, a little minute to get a mask off, to put a pulpit. You know, it just takes me a little bit, a minute there. So I would normally say, you know, talk, talk amongst yourselves, but you can't even do that. So it's good to see you all today. Uh, for those of you who came in a little bit after we started worship, just want to let you know, uh, first and foremost, again, that um, we are exceeding every health regulation that the, uh, our provincial government and then Ottawa Public Health is requiring of us. So we're singing and talking in aquariums that are beautiful. Don't tap on the glasses, it's really loud. Ha, um, ha, 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 ha. But again, so you may see uh, a musician or you may see somebody who then, during their performance time, takes their mask off. Uh, they can only do that if they're behind a barrier, okay? And so you're not six feet from anybody, you're minimum 12 feet from anybody. So I just want you to take know that we are taking your safety absolutely absolutely at the utmost of everything that we're doing. But as Pastor Laurie just said, this year we wanna take the entire ministry year to really look at three words since how do you and I become more like Jesus? That's the heart of what we wanna dive into this ministry year in real time through real people like you and I. What does it look like to live, to look, to love and to listen? And then if God gives us the honor to lead, not only ourselves, but perhaps one other person to be more like Jesus, this is the focus. You know, like you, I have this desire in my life, in my, in my manhood, in my marriage, in my parenting, in every facet of my life, I have a desire to be more like Jesus. Hey, here's what I know. Our world has got a lot of conflict a lot of challenges right now. There are a lot of things that are coming to the surface that need to come to the surface. There's much that is occurring, and with much that is occurring, I don't have the answer for every ism. I don't have the answer, nor do you, but this one thing I know is that if every single one of us becomes more like Jesus, there will be more goodness, there will be more healing. Listen, not necessarily becomes more Christian or this or that, because that's full of us. It is not, Jesus didn't die so that we could become another ism. He died so that you and I could become like him, that we are in the family of God becoming like Jesus because when I look at Jesus, I see hope and I see who it is and what it is that we can be together. So the desire is that, but the confession, my confession this morning is I have a long grace and truth way to go to be more like Jesus. You know, the truth of it is this, that instead of being reactive, or defensive, all around us as life center. Whether you, again you're at home campus, you're in person, or you're online, whether it's Canada, Cornwall, or Orleans, however you're engaging today, here's what I think is so vitally important for us to look at: is we can be defensive. We can live our lives absolutely defensive right now about everyone and everything. We can be picking each other apart on social media. We can begin to pull each other apart. We can can talk about things that we think matter but that to others it just sounds like more injustice. It just sounds like more pain or it is more injustice or it is more pain. But here's what the Scripture says that is the hard news before we get to the good news. Here's the hard news that the Scripture says, that you are the problem in the world, that I am the problem in this world, that it is my sin, that it is your sin, that creates collective brokenness in the world around us, that you and I are part of the problem You know, some of you have been waiting a long time to tell someone that they're the problem. Don't do it now, but just hold it in your heart. Say, my pastor said, you're the problem. That's what I heard today. Well, then you're contributing. No, no, the truth of it is, come on, like you and I are part of the problem. That's what Jesus said is that if there's the bullseye on the target, the scripture says that we all fall short and that it's my sin and it is your sin that is creating the brokenness, whether it is individual or systemic, that it is our issues, it is our sin that is creating brokenness seen all around us everywhere and here's the thing especially when you hear the words that i just said a moment ago intentionally like you're the problem i'm the problem we are the problem as soon as we say those words again it can be defensiveness in our heart and here's what we have to understand the difference when i say something like this you're the problem i'm the problem we're the problem when i say that you and i have to understand the difference between fault and responsibility when i say you're the problem what i am not saying is this when the bible says you're the problem the bible is not saying this the bible is not saying that everything in the world today is your fault but it is my sin and it is your sin it is our collective brokenness that we have to bear responsibility for in our hearts and in our lives As you begin to think through where we're going to go in about six to seven weeks' times, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, you and I can see that Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's not whether you commit adultery with something. That's not the problem. The problem is even if you look with lust, You're the problem. You're creating. You are complicit in the brokenness. There's only been one human in all of humanity who is not complicit to adding any brokenness to that world, and his name is Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become more like him, the righteousness of God in creation. There's only been one perfect human ever to live on the planet who was not complicit, who did not add one iota of brokenness to the world in which we live And so as I shared last week, it's vitally important to understand the difference between fault and responsibility. I'm not saying everything's your fault. There are some things we do that are both our fault and our responsibility, right? You open your car door, you smack another car door, you dent it, you don't leave a note, right? That's both your fault and your responsibility, right? You say something intentionally to hurt someone, you hurt them that's both your fault and your responsibility. For me, a life center, we have different campuses. If somebody does something that hurts somebody intentionally or not in a different campus, that's not my fault, but it's ultimately my responsibility because my sphere of influence. So it's understanding the difference between, again, fault and responsibility. I'm not saying every bit of racism is your fault or every bit of sexual abuse is your fault or every sort of bit of lying or every bit of greed is your fault, but jealousy, envy, whatever you want. But the truth is we're all complicit in brokenness, which means that all of us, that's the bad news, the good news is we can be more like Jesus. Sarah Anderson says this, Instead of risking engagement in our current world today, instead of risking engagement that might go wrong, we widen the space between us by choosing silence, sticking with friends who think as we think, or totally detaching on issues that do not matter, uh, sorry, that do matter and are worth talking about. We are living in a world that is more, it's not my fault, it's your fault. You're more at fault for what's going on. I think as followers of Christ, we just have to have humility to say, no, no, no. I am complicit in the brokenness around me. So Lord, would you help me be born like Jesus? Rather than always pushing it off, always getting so defensive. It's not my fault. No, but I bear responsibility. I bear responsibility for the greed in the city. I bear responsibility for the brokenness in the city. It's not all my fault but I'm not adding only perfection to the equation. We need to be more like Jesus. And if we're gonna look at what it means to live like Jesus, we have to start with three words which form a fundamental question that each of us asks in our lifetime and insist, who, who am I? This is the question, who am I? Asking this question today, you're gonna to hear a myriad, of, a myriad of responses. Well, I am who I kind of wanna be. I am my race. I am my gender. I am who I love. I am what I earn. I am, some of us are in bondage today because we are who person X says we should be, and we are living for the approval of somebody other than our Heavenly Father. I am who I was, or I am what I did, or I am what I failed to do. I am my worst mistake for some. And there are others who are saying, well, I, well, today I am who I pretend to be. You know, the truth of it is for you and for I in church that um, these aren't the only masks we wear. We wear other ones as well. And do we have the courage, you know, not, not in here, don't take them off, but do we have the courage to, you know, leave these ones on but take off the other ones? You see, Jesus defined himself, though, differently. Because for Jesus, answering who am I meant one singular thing. For Jesus, it wasn't just all the things that I listed. For Jesus, answering who am I meant discovering who am I is first found in knowing I am. Jesus defined who he was in his relationship to the Father primarily. To know who I am as followers of Christ doesn't start with all of the things that I just listed, though they can be good things, some of them. No, it starts with examining my relationship to the God of the universe. Seek first the king and his kingdom, and then all these things. Not seek all these things, and then you get the king and the kingdom. If you seek all these things, you'll have no room for the king and no room for the kingdom. The first words we see from Jesus in Luke chapter two is this moment where there's this beautiful interaction that He has with his parents. I say a beautiful interaction because it's, it's beautiful to us. It wasn't beautiful to his parents. They were pretty perturbed. He's lost to them, and after three days. I mean, if you're looking for your child for three days, you're a perturbed parent. That's a long time. Okay? I have to look for my kids for three minutes in the house, even you know, it gets testy. Three days. And after three days, when he finds they find Jesus in the synagogue, and he says to them, Why were you looking for me? What a curious question to ask parents. Why were you looking for me? And then he said this. He'sn't saying, Why were you looking for me like you don't care about me? He's simply saying, How did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? And could you imagine for that moment, even Joseph's heart, recognizing that he's a stepfather here? Because Jesus begins to identify who he is by his relationship to the God of heaven, not by a lot of other things. And then at his baptism, we see there's this other moment in Matthew 3, verses 16 to 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved, what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He had done no miracles, preached no great sermons, But the God of the universe said, no, no, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from here, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He is tempted. Then he gathers 12 disciples. And as they say, the rest is history. But how does his ministry start? By knowing his relationship to the God of the universe. As followers of Jesus, there are a lot of secondary identities that are important. But as followers of Christ, there is nothing more vital than understanding, you understanding, me understanding. Understanding, I understanding, not only that I am complicit to the brokenness of this world, but now because I'm complicit, that I've broken the laws of God, that I am bankrupt to actually bridge that gap. But there was one who was perfect, who came and in my place lived a life that I couldn't live, died the death that I deserved to restore me, to restore you and I to the Father, and that it is in Christ that you and I can be reconciled and that we can become not slaves and employees. Employees of God, but we can become sons and daughters of God. That our relationship, whether it's our gender, various things that we look at, yes, they're important to discover who we are, but they are not more significant than knowing who we are in Christ. Our relationship to the Father. You know, Jesus after his life, death, and resurrection, uh, when he was just about to ascend to the Father, he gave his disciples a promise and a proclamation. And I want you to listen to it, because I'm going to have you close your eyes in a moment, and I want you to think about your own heart and life. But here's what he said in John chapter 14, verse 8. He said, I will not leave you as, and here's the word, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you parentless. I will not leave you alone. You won't be bankrupt in yourself. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And then John chapter 15 as he continues, so 14 he says this, and then 15 he continues and he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, if you're in the chat watching online, can you just type the word abide in there? If you're here, you can just say it in your heart, the word abide. Whoever abides in me, Abiding in Christ is not coming to church and then going home. Abiding in Christ is not just when music is playing. Abiding in Christ is not when you're doing just only devotions and then you have the rest of your day. Jesus is actually saying, no, no, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus said, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. Now, you may pause in this moment and go, well, I, I know lots of people who don't know Christ who do extraordinary things. Yes, apart from Jesus, we can do good and we can do evil. We can do things that are healthy and we can do things that are unhealthy. But what we cannot do apart from God is to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. What we cannot do apart from God is to be a place and a people in the midst of a city that brings reconciliation to broken things. What you and I need is the fullness of God, knowing who we are in Christ, to be agents of humility in a world that is both lost and broken. As I said last week, the goal is not to walk around looking at kids or students or adults. And if there's any kids in the room today, can you just give me a little wave, kids? Kids, this little wave, wave, wave. Kids, it is so good to see you. Parents, if kids make a little peep, if they make a little noise, if they make a little hot dog hallelujah moment, I want you to know this. We are just glad to hear the voice of kids. And kids, we are praying for you as you went back to school. We are praying for you if you're at home and mom and dad are now mom and dad and they're also teacher. you got to respect them in both ways now, kids, as mom and dad, as teacher. This is tough stuff for kids. This is a tough season for kids and students. Uh, In terms of Life Center, we are watching all the guidance, and we are praying for schools, and we're believing soon. We don't know when that is that we can offer children's ministry again or life kids, but we're going to watch schools, and we're going to pray for a season that everything goes well. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. How me know that Jesus had some pretty interesting disciples that weren't always easy to love. Are you always easy to love? Of course I am. I think I'm pretty easy to love. Until, you know, have you know that everybody is normal until you get to know them. And then you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you, mm, you voted for who? Hmm? And on, online, just say, don't go there. Just don't go there. Just please don't go there. <laughs> you, 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 you upvoted what? On, you liked what on Facebook? Everybody's normal till you get to know them. But Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Why is that so significant? Because if Jesus would have given a different type of love here, it wouldn't have been as hopeful. So, Jesus says, No, 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 I am going to love you with the type of securing identity love that only the God of the universe can give. As the Father has loved you, so has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he said, Abide in my love. Now, I wish I could tell you this. I wish I could tell you that abiding in God's love is a one and done thing. Salvation is a one and done thing. When you surrender your heart to Jesus and open your heart, now, some people are going to talk about backsliding and different things. That's a talk for a different day. But truthfully, there's this beautiful space that when you and I surrender our hearts to God, that we are saved by grace, that truth touches our hearts, we are saved by the grace of God. It's a one and done thing. But how many of you know that abiding in God, abiding in the love of God is not a one and done thing? It is a daily thing. It is sometimes in a given day, it can actually be a moment to moment thing. In some seasons in life, it's a second by second thing. In crisis, in challenge, in diagnosis, in discouragement, in deep disappointment, in all of these things, our hearts don't stay put they drift they drift and they long to sometimes find these different places and homes john tyson put an excellent summary together which inspired what i'm just going to share in just a moment we've adapted it but inspired what we're going to share today of what it can look like i want to read up some symptoms now in this moment, I want you to think about your life as I begin to read these things. And I want you to ask yourself, where is your identity? So, again, whether you're here in person or at home, a home campus, online, where is my identity truly rooted in this season? And what is this season revealing? about my rootedness. I did a, um, I don't know what it's called, a Zoom call, yes. I did a Zoom call this week. It wasn't Zoom. I was in something else, but I don't remember what it was called, but it was a video conferencing thing. But I did it this week with a few other pastors, and one of the pastors who was on it with us gave an expression that his father always said to him, and he called it the toothpaste expression, and it is this. toothpaste. When the toothpaste tube is squeezed, whatever's on the inside comes out. And so this season, we're all being squeezed, and what's on the inside's coming out. And if you're anything like me, I like some things that are coming out, not so much other things. One prayer I always have is, God, I just bless what you're doing, coming or going. If it's going, let it go, go far, far, far from me. Right? But I like some things that are coming out, not others. But this? So the season that we're in right now is a revealing season. Crisis reveals what's in there in a, in a, in a phenomenal way. So I want you to do something with me. And some of you may uh, fall asleep in this moment, and and that's okay. Well, some of you fall asleep every week without permission, and that's okay, too. I'm just glad to see human beings, right? Some of you are on a home campus right now, and you're listening, and you're worshiping, and you're taking notes. Others of you are lying in bed right now in your bed with an iPad of your head. But I'm just glad you're here. I'm just glad you're being more like Jesus. You don't have to fit into my niche. No performance to be here. You know, it would be great if you put some pants on, but that's, 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 that's your business, not mine. That's, that's not my business. Matthew 15, verse 13 says, we took a sidetrack there, didn't we? Matthew 15, 13 says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Don't always mistake things being uprooted from your life from work of the enemy. Sometimes it's the work of God. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Sometimes, yes, it can hurt when God prunes, but he doesn't hurt to harm us. He prunes to heal us. Very different. So I want you to take a moment, and I want you to close your eyes. I mean, you don't have to if you're like, but you can't. Just close your eyes. Because what I want to do is I want to read different symptoms and while you're speaking to ask the Lord in this moment, again, whether you're here or at home, just ask the Lord, the Lord's, where, where is my heart? Where is it abiding right now? Where is it abiding today? Is it abiding in you? Am I abiding? Am I living as a son or daughter of the king? Or am I functioning with an orphan heart and an orphan spirit? Here are some symptoms. In your relationships, are you competitive Not based on personality. Are you competitive? Do you have rivalries? Are you jealous of others? Is everything about success and position? Are you always striving to be better than others? And if you're better, you feel good about yourself. That's one side in your relationships. Do you always have to be right? The other side. In your relationships, do you have humility? And unity is a value, not always agreement, but unity. As you value others, are you able to rejoice in the blessings and and the successes of others? If you see others prospering, are you just able to celebrate them? You know, if if it was the first, your heart may be orphaned in relationships. How about with your own faults, when you mess up, when you fall short, when you don't hit it, do you have an orphaned heart? When you don't hit it or people around you don't hit it? Do you compare yourself to others not to get better, but you get bitter, you get you put yourself down, you if people around you make mistakes, do you cancel them? Do you make yourself look good by making others less look less than you? Do you secretly celebrate when others fail? Those are symptoms of an orphaned heart. With your own faults, though, when you look at the faults of others, if your heart is rooted as a son or daughter of God, you seek to show grace and restore others in a spirit of gentleness. Yes, with truth, but it is grace and truth, not only one. You know, even if it takes a lot of time, you don't give up hope. You trust what God is going to do. That's a son or a daughter. How about in relating to authority? Do you have an orphaned heart? Do you see authority only as a, so- as a source of pain? Do you distrust all authority? Do you have a distrustful attitude towards them or a lack of submission? Is, is your view of authority only rooted in the perhaps one or two or three bad authority figures? Or are you respectful of authority? Are you honoring? Do you see them as a source of protection and leadership for your life not to control you but to be like an umbrella over your life when you're challenged and all of us are challenged an orphan heart is defensive must always be right closed-spirited are you easily hurt and offended these are symptoms of an orphan heart but when you're challenged are you open when we're son and daughters of God we're open we're teachable We're grateful for the process of growth, of formation. And here's a really key word. The more we abide in Christ, the more resilient we are. In your relationship with God, would you describe it as conditional and distant? Or would you describe it as close and intimate? How about your current heart condition? The moment I talk about your heart, would you think in this moment about bondage, Or would you think about freedom, what comes to mind? And once again, how do you relate to God as a servant? Do you relate to God as a slave, as an employee? That your feelings and emotions of how you're following Jesus are based on how well you did in devotions that week? then I feel like a good Christian, but if I had a bad week where I watched too much sports or Netflix or just didn't prioritize my time with the Lord, I lacked spiritual disciplines, then it's like, God, I'll make it up to you. I'll make you proud. Are you? Does it feel like you have to punch a clock with God or do you relate to him as a son, a daughter, a friend, or an heir? You can open your eyes if you want. You see, the truth of it is the more our hearts abide apart from Jesus, the more they can produce orphaned heart beliefs. And that when that happens, the more prone we are to cycles of harm. Whose mantra can sound like this that I don't like myself, I, I don't matter, I feel useless, I don't fit in, or even I don't need anyone. It's not my fault. It's not my problem, it's your problem. Look at I said I just said the truth. It's it's not my problem, it's your problem. It's not my fault. Nor is it even my responsibility. And for some they even get to, I, I just want to give up. But here's the truth. Galatians chapter four, verses three to seven says, in the same way also that when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as, now the Bible says here as sons, and it's not to be you know, gender exclusive, like that doesn't apply to women. It's talking about inheritance here, but we can actually say as sons, and daughters of God, and because you are sons, because you are daughters, because you and I have this inheritance, it said God has sent his son, in, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, or directly translated, some of you when I say it, I cringe, but it's Daddy, Father, See, I've never called my father Daddy, I'm like, hey, Dad, how's it going, you know, Daddy, I'm always like, <laughs> I feel it's like too soft or something, I don't know what that is, I got some issues that I'm still working out. But there's this cry of not just father, but it is this dad that is intimacy, this closeness. So you're no longer a slave. You're no longer an employee, you're no longer a servant but you're a son or you're a daughter and if a son then you are an heir through God so in Jesus, through the power of confession and community we keep our heart rooted not in a cycle of harm but a cycle of hope that says and sometimes we have to remind others that when it wells up in us, well I don't like myself, no, 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 no 1 John four ten says that you are loved on your worst day, on your best day as a son or a daughter of God, that you are loved by the God of, your, of the universe, so your identity doesn't come out of your self-worth, your identity comes out of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, your identity is a son or a daughter, or oh, I don't matter, no, 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 Jeremiah 29 11 says, you absolutely matter, we just took an entire summer of spiritual gifts saying, God has given every single one of us as followers of Christ spiritual gifts, you matter, your gifts matter, you showing up matters, you matter intrinsically, not only to the brokenness, but it's not you your fault, but it is our collective responsibility to be sons and daughters of God, to be the bride of Christ, to be the church. God says one day all things are going to be made new, but he said, Jesus said when he came on earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we get to see glimpses of what we will see in fullness one day, that it is our responsibility, it is our joy, and it is our privilege that you and I with the gifts that God has given you, that he is placed on the inside of you, it does not serve the world for you and I to play small, nor does it serve the world for you and I to be arrogant, but for you and I to be humble, to know that we are sons and daughters of God. If we can become more like Jesus, that we matter. I feel useless. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4 says, no, again, as I said a moment ago, you're not useless, you're needed, you're of ultimate value, you are worth every drop of Christ's blood. Don't call yourself useless. I don't fit in. Romans 12, verses 4 to 5, does says differently. It says, no, 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 you belong. There may have been some bumps to belonging, but you belong. There may be some hardship in working within community. Anybody here by show of hands ever been to a perfect church? Can I see your hands, please? Well, we had it perfect until you showed up. We had it perfect till I showed up. And then when I showed up, imperfection showed up with me. And so in that place, we have to work hard at this not just keep polarizing, not just keep distancing ourselves. We've got to work at this. I want to give up. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says, no, 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 no. You have a choice. And this is most vitally, especially, again, when we are discouraged or disillusioned by other Christians who are in Christ, but like us, growing in their Christ-likeness. And so if we desire to live like Jesus, it will never be found in abiding in secondary identities. Jesus knew, I am. Therefore, he was able to clearly say, because I know who God is, therefore this is who I am. In contrast to a world that takes all these secondary identities and makes them primary things, Is it any wonder if we make secondary identities, even the good one, and we make those primary things? They can't hold the weight of who we are because we are more than just those things. Unknown for the first, relatively unknown for the first 30 years of his life, guess what? Still Jesus. So whether Jesus was in the shadows or in the spotlight, still Jesus. Known wildly in the last three and a half years of his life, didn't make him more prideful, still Jesus. When he was celebrated, you know what? Still Jesus. And when he was betrayed, guess what? Still Jesus. How did Jesus do this in human form? This is who I am. Because my heart and my identity is rooted in who my Father says that I am. Not in who all you all say I am. Still Jesus imagine what with me what might be for your life for your family for our church our church 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 our church if we could all keep moving from an orphaned heart to a heart re- rooted in being a son or daughter and heir to king jesus what, what could happen in our relationships if we took responsibility I'm not saying everything's your fault. It isn't. But what if we took responsibility for the brokenness around us? What if the next time somebody accuses you of something, if you didn't say to them, like, excuse me, who are you? What if you responded and they said, like, man, like, this is horrible about you. What if we responded with, actually, if you knew the truth, that's like the least horrible thing about me. I'm like way worse than that do that. (laughs) Especially in a job interview. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, this seems to be weakness. Weakness? You want to talk weakness? That's not how to win friends and influence people. But there is some truth in it saying, no, no. God, you got to work in my heart. What would happen if the pursuit of our lives was to learn how to abide? to To learn how to Live on earth like Jesus did. As Pastor Lori comes, I'm going to close in prayer. In the next few weeks, we're going to keep going in the area of our hearts because we're going to talk about offenses, what it is to forgive, reconciliation, and then ultimately restitution. And here's all I know the world needs more Jesus. The world needs more followers of Christ to become like Jesus. In a world filled with fear and anxiety, the world needs followers of Jesus rooted in who the Father says they are to be a non-anxious presence in the world in which we live. And don't discount yourself. And so whatever brokenness exists, it is not greater than the blood of Jesus. That he was, he's promised not to leave us alone but then he asks us to abide in him and so if today is revealed where you're not abiding he is as close as the mention of his name what do i do i confess i repent and i root let's pray heavenly father in this moment we admit as a church that we need to become more like you Uh, not just through bible school or not just through preaching we don't need to just think and understand what the bible says in our character, in our emotions, in how we live and how we prioritize our lives, we actually have to live, Jesus, the way that you lived. Not just talk about it. Live the way you lived. And so, Lord, would you give us a grace? Would you give us truth? And would you give us courage? And where we hit it, may we give you glory. And when we fall short, may we encourage one another. And, God, may you do in our hearts and lives this year which we cannot do in and of ourselves, and that is... Become more like you. Help us to surrender. Help us to confess. And help us to trust that you are not only God, but that you're good, even in a pandemic, even in 2020, where it seems like it's just a wha of a year. Father, 2020 is all about vision. And this isn't the year that any of us foresaw, but all the stuff that's being revealed. God, I thank you. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal it so that it can be healed. And so, Father, I pray let healing flow like a river, like justice flow like a river in our hearts and in our lives. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.